And we are back with another episode of the broadcast interruption discussing True Detective Night Country. I'm back with Matthew and Ivy. You want to say hello? Hello. Thank you for having me. Hello. I'm also here. (laughs) All right. A lot happened in this episode. So we're going to dive right in. This episode opens with a... I thought it was a pretty jarring shot of a skull in an incinerator. It was a pretty cool shot. But uh, this is Jules being cremated. It's a beautifully somber scene, honestly, as the ashes are gathered, placed into an urn, and we see that Navarro standing right there. She thanks the crematorium worker. I'm not sure what their actual name is. Uh, she thanks them for letting her stand there and watch. And then we get this interesting uh, date pop up. And we see that it has been almost five days, if I did my math correctly, since mm-hmm. the last episode. Yep. So, I was not a fan of that. Yeah, I was like, whoa, it's a pretty big time jump from the last episode ended with Navarro bleeding from her ear. And five days later, we see Navarro picking up her sister's ashes. And there is a little bit of what happened in that time period that I'm curious about. And then they don't we mention her ear at all. They don't mention her bleeding. Yeah. They don't mention her staring at the Christmas tree. So basically, we're just doing scary things at this point to be creepy. At the end of it, it's one of my pet peeves. If you're gonna if you're gonna give me a good cliffhanger, because that was a good cliffhanger. Yes, you really need to give me a little bit of payoff at least in the next episode. And they give us Otis. They give us nothing on what the hell was going on with Navarro. Yes. Yeah, yeah I did think that was an interesting choice overall to just have that creepy moment with the christmas tree at the end of the previous episode and then not address it whatsoever uh because then we go to danvers who is visiting otis in rehab asking particularly if he knew clark and clark was asking otis about how he survived his injuries that's all otis really remembers and danvers comes right in and is like well how did you survive and he's like, I, does it look like I did? Because he's clearly struggling, not in gray shape, but doesn't really get a good response on how he survived his injuries or what even caused them. Otis does remember saying that Clark went to the night country. No, he doesn't remember that. Sorry, I read my types wrong. He doesn't remember saying that Clark went to the night country, but he does remember that before Clark disappeared, He was saying, she is awake. I have to hide. She is out there. So we're going back to this. She is awake. Still no idea who she is. Danvers asks about the day Otis received his injuries. And that was almost 30 years ago. Otis says that there was a cave-in in the mine and men died in the ice. He mentions a blizzard. And in that blizzard, there was something screaming and howling, and the men followed the sound. And then nothing. He woke up in the hospital with his injuries and can't remember what happened. So Danvers gets a map out, lays it on his lap. He's in a hospital bed. It's not a hospital. It's a rehab. 
he points to the entrance of the mine on the map and says that you can't go alone it's dangerous and she replies i'm not going to you're gonna take me there and they have this back and forth and he's like i'm not doing that unless you bring me heroin he doesn't come out and say it but he's like make me better and she's like i'm not gonna do that which is <laughs> i thought it was kind of a weird moral line because danvers has not really had a moral line yeah but on this one she's she's not gonna cross it and otis just rolls over turns his back to her and he's done yeah he's like a stubborn kid yeah. <laughs> in that moment you know <laughs> you can tell he's really jonesing he's hurting right now he literally says then your time is up and he rolls over yeah he's like see ya <laughs> navarro pulls up picks up danvers and danvers looks in the back of her car and notices ashes are buckled in and i thought that was kind of a sweet touch i don't I haven't had to transport ashes, but the fact that she buckled them into the seat was a nice touch. Danvers asks if she wants to talk. And of course, Navarro says no. And they pull out into the dark. And there's one of the things I loved in this episode is that we kind of put aside the personal um, growth there's not a lot of discussion about pasts and what makes Navarro Navarro or what makes Danvers Danvers. At this moment, we've had all that buildup and now it's just unfolding. We know who they are at this point. And so we get to see them truly interact in it felt a more real way. We cut to Peter's house. And he's making a bowl of cereal when his wife, Kayla, drops a packed bag on the floor. She tells him not to come back tonight. And finally, Peter has some backbone, but at the wrong person. And he yells that she can't kick him out. It's his family, too. That yeah, actress, this is hard to watch. That actress has the best faces. You can tell she's done with oh, yeah. You can tell. She's like... It looks like she's almost trying to swallow back just spewing at all of these people. Like you can tell it's a horrible scene for both of them. Like the, the characters, it's so sad mm -hmm. for all of them, but Oh my goodness, her facial expressions, whenever she's dealing with him or Danvers are fantastic. This was one of those scenes that I think I, I, I kind of just mentioned it. This episode does so well. We've kind of put all of these pieces in place and now it's coming together. Something is happening with all of those pieces and things are either falling apart or moving forward instead of just like, oh, here's another piece to that. Here's another piece to that. So if this season were a puzzle, we've got like all of the edges in, the corners are in, we're about 70% of the main part. And now it's just fitting in those last little pieces. And this episode does a nice job of bringing that puzzle much closer to completion mm -hmm. we cut back to navarro who asks how leah is doing danvers says that the girlfriend has turned leah into a crazy radical quote and navarro actually defends leah and says they aren't radicals their water is literally being poisoned like that doesn't make them radical it's a good point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, I'm with Navarro on that one. Uh, 
we see Leah and her girlfriend during this conversation. They're putting black paint on their faces and they're grabbing signs, getting ready to march in a protest. Back in the car, Danvers and Navarro arrive at the entrance of the caves to see that it has been blown shut. It's covered in rubble. Navarro gets mad, storms back to the car. Of course, this is what would happen in this town. So we see Peter carrying his bag and walking. He's already at his father's house. He's walking around the corner of his father's house, and he can hear his father singing a particularly depressing song. Uh, I caught the line, you are forever bound to lose, so what's the use? Was the main line that stood out to me. It's a... I don't know. It gave me Johnny Cash vibes. I got those same vibes. He sounds really good, too. Yeah, he wasn't bad. <laughs> because they mentioned previously, I think it was, was it episode one or two, where Peter says that he's never even heard his dad do any kind of musical stuff before. He just only knew that he did at one point because Peter's dad's wife had mentioned it. Oh, and so that makes this next moment where... Peter just sits outside the house and listens. He doesn't yeah. let his dad know he's there. He just listens to his dad saying. It's the first time he's heard it. Yep. And it's kind of, it's a heartbreaking moment. This song that he's singing, You Are Forever Bound to Lose, So What's the Use, plays over footage of the protests. We see Leah outside of the mines, big police force, police arrive in riot gear, and as expected, in this type of setting, chaos breaks out. We go back to Peter. He's sitting outside and he decides to call his dad instead of just knock. And he asks his dad if he can stay with him. His father lies, which I thought was interesting, and says that he's working on his truck. And Peter clearly knows that's not the truth. But in that moment, his father lies and Peter is honest and tells him that Kayla thinks they need time apart. Hank seemed genuinely happy that Peter was asking to come over. We cut back to the protest, and this was, who was the ghost? I thought it was Annie. Okay, I thought it was Annie too, but I, it was so quick I couldn't tell. On both watches, I was like, is that Annie? Um, but Navarro sees a ghost, and she's kind of stunned for a second, and then she gets hit over the head by an object that was thrown by Leah. Another officer starts beating Leah with his nightstick. And then this scene frustrated me so much. Leah, lying on the ground, being beat by the officer, calls out to her girlfriend, who runs away. And this bothered me so much because I don't know why this girlfriend exists. Yep. I it's one of those moments that like so far I don't know why she's there. I don't know why she's there. She serves zero purpose and I think Leah would have had a far more interesting journey of discovery if it was self-motivated instead of being motivated through her girlfriend. So as is Leah's story of discovering her origins is interesting. But I after this scene, I'm like, the girlfriend's pointless. She doesn't need to exist, period. Uh, but then Navarro sees that Leah is being hit by a stick. She comes in and defends Leah and tells the officer like she's just a kid and ends up getting in a fight with this officer. 
we cut to Danvers, who's at the police station. She's on the phone with Connolly, who wants Danvers to come into the mining offices. After she hangs up with Connolly, Navarro calls and tells her that Leah has been arrested at the protests. In Navarro's car, Leah questions Navarro, whose side are you on? And Navarro says she actually feels for Danvers in this moment. <laughs> and this scene, I was curious about this scene because just 10 minutes ago, she told Danvers she understood. And then in this moment, she is with Danvers. And is it just she doesn't agree with Leah's methods? I think that's what it is. I think that it's just a uh, Leah is acting like a teenager where she has this thing that she's grabbed onto and she's not going to let go. And she's a little bit self-righteous about the whole thing. It's one of those things where she's right, but she's doing it the wrong way. Yeah. And she's too young to kind of get that through her head. And Navarro's like, Oh my God, is this what having a teenager is like? I think that's a little bit like, Oh, that's why I agree with her. Not, not necessarily about, you know, putting our heads in the sand and pretending like it's not happening and pretend like whatever is going on over in the villages is not related to them, but um, more of a, Oh my God, there's a better way to do this. Okay. It's that comparison of both Leah and Navarro are trying to do the same thing, but Navarro is trying to go through the proper channels with the police doing the investigation and figuring that out. Got it. While she's on this phone, on the phone call with Danvers, Danvers told Navarro to bring Leah in. She wants Leah to sit in the prison cell, take her into custody. At the station, Danvers asks if Peter knew Leah was going to the protest. She's heated. Peter reveals to Danvers that he has been kicked out of his house. And Danvers seems genuinely stunned and stutters and offers her place and i love this line from peter that says moving in with you would be a fast track to divorce (laughs) he uh, then shows danvers a file of the thing that she has been looking for quote unquote during this exchange navarro brings leah in and liz turns peter's back to leah walks away totally ignores leah coming in leah actually yells at another officer to book her i enjoyed that i i thought it was i chuckled a little bit there is uh i i wrote some stuff in here about her approach she's giving the tough love approach which yeah i think it's what you want about it yeah peter Um, has yeah, I, I think the files that he handed to Danvers was kind of talking about what I mentioned a few episodes ago about the Tuttle United stuff. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So Peter has traced the LLC to Tuttle's United and they were interconnected, interconnected to a lot of different things. They are from you said they're mentioned in season one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he has essentially found evidence that I appreciated Danvers dumbing down (laughs) what Peter said. They found evidence that the mine bankrolled the Salau station and that the Salau station was most likely faking pollution numbers, which is ties 
the mine back to what's going on in the town connects everything that we've kind of been like what is going on Mm -hmm. connects it nicely peter brings leah a pepsi and chips he asks if she is okay leah says that kayla couldn't stop crying when she kicked peter out and says peter you're an asshole (laughs) and she tells a story about when kayla fell in love with peter and it's a story about peter played hockey and they lost an important game because peter let a player score and leah says but that player you let score his dad had a stroke like the week of and you knew didn't you peter and he plays it off like oh no and she's basically implying Peter let this kid score because he knew about his situation. And that is why Kayla liked him because he is a nice kid. He's a nice guy. And then Leah says a great line. Don't let Liz ruin that guy. She is not good with people she cares about, Mm -hmm. which in that moment we realize that Leah knows Danvers cares about her, but she's struggling with it a little bit because she wants it to be shown in a different way. We see Liz... By not being in prison. (laughs) (laughs) We see Danvers going through documents and Navarro asks if she is really keeping Leah locked up. Navarro says she is trying to do the right thing. Danvers replies, she's not. She's just trying to piss me off. She then tells Navarro that she had to defend Navarro for hitting that other officer. And I liked when Navarro tells her, yeah, well, that officer hit Leah. And Liz just goes, well, he's suspended. (laughs) (laughs) Which confirmed that, you know, she's showing that tough love to Leah. She's locking Leah up. But that officer that hit her kid is going to face penalties. I didn't I didn't like that Liz still seems to think that that this is all about pissing her off. I feel like it's kind of obvious Leah's pretty committed to this and it's got nothing to do with Liz, at least to me, that's how it seems. And and I would have thought that by now that would have occurred to Liz that it's it's not about you and making you mad. But well, I think you're you're right, but I think she comes to that realization later in this episode. She does. So I think I think this is showing us like the heads of the coin, and then she flips that coin at the end of this episode, kind yeah. of the pivotal moment of this episode. I wonder if Liz thinks that Lee is just trying to piss her off because Liz is telling her to not do things. And I think she's trying to look out for her best interests, but then Leah keeps doing them anyway. And it's kind of like that teenager rebellion type thing. But I also agree. I do think Leah is committed to this. It just kind of, there's just a disconnect there between parenting your kid. I think. Yeah. Something like that. Maybe. I also think Danvers sees a bit of herself in Leah. Yeah. Even though at this point, I don't believe they're biological. I think they are both very determined to get what they are after. And so I think Danvers sees that in Leah and is trying to protect her from where that could lead. I, it's, 
they've done a nice job of developing this tension between the two. Mm-hmm. And we still don't know what their true history is. And I think I, the teaser for this week's episode, I, I think we'll get some information. But they've done a nice job of developing this history and this kind of, there's a mutual care for each other, but there's also not really, they don't really like each other. Yeah. There's, they're definitely not biological. And I think that that's why Leah told Danvers that she doesn't have to pretend anymore and that mm-hmm. he would understand. And I think she's talking about her dad in that moment. Yeah. Like letting me, her off the hook, kind of. Mm-hmm. It's it almost a wonder, test, though. Yes. Oh, that makes me wonder way. about Holden. A test. Yeah. It makes me wonder if Holden was biological or just younger. Yeah. I am almost 100% positive Holden was her biological child. And then because earlier on... you think so? Yep. I, I just... I, I, I have that vibe as well. Like, I I think that, but I feel like Leah would probably mention Holden at some point, and she just doesn't, which yeah. makes me think that maybe they aren't even related. She doesn't have to. That's interesting. To me, she doesn't have to because I, – now, I don't know if Leah is related to Holden, but um, – Later on, when they're whenever we'll get to it with the, the conversation about the stillbirths, mm-hmm. Danvers' Achilles' heel is children and mm-hmm. child loss, and we've seen that a few times, and that's what Leah ends up using. And if if that is your like greatest horror in your life, like that's what she uses to motivate Danvers to, Danvers to manipulate her a couple of times. And finally be like, there's nine moms, Liz. Like, yeah, I, I, really, yeah. I really think that that's coming from the fact that she lost her act- her her biological son. So I think that's, we're kind of all over the place on that because I've kind of been operating under the assumption that Leah is her stepdaughter. They said yeah. that, but was Holden's half-sister. Yeah. So that Holden and Leah had the same dad. Liz came in after Leah. And then Liz and Leah's father had Holden. Yeah. That would make sense. And that's a clear assumption for sure. Yeah. There's (laughs) there's no confirmation. There's no confirmation. There's nothing to base that on. Because Holden himself looks more like Leah than they've shown him those couple times and I, I don't know. I have no idea at this point. And I can't it, even it, tell if Holden's even half Caucasian. Yes. And you made the very interesting point that Leah has not mentioned him whatsoever. And then I was like, Oh yeah, I feel like she would mention in one of their fights, at least about her brother. Yeah. Yeah. You would you, think you feel, you'd think she would throw that out there. So that is interesting. I want to tell you a little bit about Zencaster. When I was preparing for our 13 Nights of Halloween series, I was really searching for a way to streamline the process. I wanted a professional-looking setup to invite our guests to. I wanted quality audio and video recording. And I wanted the easiest way to release the episodes to as broad of an audience as possible. This is how I landed on Zencaster. 
it is now super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. Just log in using your browser and start recording a high quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. And speaking of audio quality, have you ever worried what you sound like? Zencaster's post production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes those ums and ahs in your recording. It removes those awkward pauses in conversation, too. Set the podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with the click of a button. So if you're thinking of starting your own podcast or just want to streamline what you are already doing, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code average customer and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. That's average customer, one word. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all of my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Okay, at this point, Danvers mentions to Navarro that she is going to meet Kate about the protests that happened. So Kate is the lady who owns the mines. Danvers shows Navarro's Navarro the documents that Peter found and says, you're going to like these. And then the scene cuts. Uh, the Silver Sky Mining Building stood out to me because it is perhaps the newest and nicest building in all of Venice. It immediately was jarring to me to see that building compared to the humble and dated buildings that we have seen up to that point. The Silver Sky Mining is glass and metal inside and super modern. Danvers, Connolly, and Kate all sit down and Kate pulls up security footage showing that Danvers and Navarro were at the entrance to the mine. And she asks, why? What were you doing there? Danvers says it had to do with the Salal station. They got intel about the area saying uh, an engineer had told them that the missing scientist Clark was hiding out there. Kate asks who the engineer was. And I wanted Danvers to say, that's police business. You don't need to know. But she tells Kate it was Otis Heiss. And then Kate pulls the, well, the good news is it's not a murder investigation anymore. The forensics are back from Anchorage. And it turns out, I, I don't think they are related anymore, but this is the same thing. They definitely took all of the elements of the uh, Diatlov Pass incident. They took all those elements and put it on this because the same excuse scientists give for that is given here in, it was a slab avalanche, a freak weather event. All signs point to fatal hypothermia. Mm -hmm. The official word from Anchorage is they froze to death. And you can tell Liz does not believe this. Well, because it's a lie and she's not stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, really quickly, uh, one thing that was kind of interesting about this episode, um, they did scrub off murderers from the front yes. of that building. Yes, they did. As well. You can, just, yeah. you can still see the outline on it a little bit, but they got it off of it. Yeah. Uh, Danvers pulls the mine documents that show the mine is bankrolling Salau Station, and she tries to call Kate out on it. And she says, this seems like a conflict of interest to me that they could be changing your pollution numbers. 
And Kate's like, oh, I don't, I don't know anything about that. I'll have to look into it. And then she leaves. And she Which is weird it. that she's just allowed to leave. Uh-huh. Which, at <laughs> right. that point, I know I can't trust Connolly anymore. I had doubts about him, but Connolly then is left with Danvers. And Danvers is trying to convince the Annie case is linked to the Salau station. It's all connected. And he just looks mad and looks at her and goes, the Wheeler case, you and Navarro worked this case a while ago, blah, 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 blah. It was a murder-suicide, except there was no suicide, was there? And so he confirms something that we've suspected for a while. And he says, stop, this case is closed. And then in a thinly veiled threat is how I took it. He says, go home to your daughter and walks out. So yeah. Matthew, a, did you call what? that he was involved? He was a bad guy. Didn't you call that last week? Did yeah. I <laughs> yeah. I just think um, just from the other seasons and stuff, it, it like, I kind of assumed that the Tuttle United Corporation was going to be bankrolling something here, money-wise. And then we find out that they own like more than just Silver Sky. They own like property there, too, and then the mine, and then also the ice skating rink. So I knew that that, what, what was her name, Kate, was going to be involved yeah. somehow. And she was pissed off at Danvers, and then we find out that Danvers is sleeping with him, like the lieutenant and i was like yep this is just all gonna unfold nicely yep there was a lot to unpack in this scene i thought and so we now know that people above danvers know about the wheeler case and it's basically being used to threaten her right now which was surprising though right it was i the the first thing i thought was like how does he know Uh uh-huh like like who yeah i don't know like who gave that information away because it didn't seem like anybody had it the structure of this episode was so good because those questions that we've had in those last couple episodes where we got 25 percent more information but not enough we finally get some answers to things but even then it's not the hundred percent answer it's like we are 98 percent of the way there And the way it unfolds leads to, like you said, okay, so we now know that the Wheeler was not a suicide. We suspected it wasn't a suicide. We don't know the full event that unfolded, but we now know that he knows. How did he find out? And it just leads to this tension that builds the whole episode. But we cut then from that scene to Hank getting into who else's car but kate's they make small talk which i thought was weird like she was pretending to care about hank and And she calls him henry yes i wrote that down because that stood out to me why does she call him henry when everyone else calls him hank the way that she was kind of almost like 
talking sweetly to him. And, and Henry tends to be like the more for, formal version. So maybe she's showing she respects him a little bit more and eh, that kind I, of thing. <laughs> that's exactly my feelings on Kate. Uh, <laughs> so they make that small talk and she just comes out and she says, Danvers is looking for where Annie was murdered. She can't find the cave. So confirmation then Annie is connected to the caves. What's going on with all of this? What's going on potentially with Salal? But she hints that Otis could take her there and something could happen at the mines. Meaning <laughs> suggestively. Yeah, uh-huh. Something could happen. <laughs> Maybe somebody uh, slips. <laughs> yep. She said addicts get lost all the time or something like that. And I took this as her saying that she wants both Danvers and Otis to be removed from the situation, which I thought this comes in at the end, but I thought she was telling Hank in not as many words, remove both of them because Danvers is not going to stop. Otis is how you're going to make it look like an accident. So Hank says he did something for her already and she didn't keep her promise. So instantly my brain goes, Hank killed Annie. Yeah. Hank killed Annie. We knew there was something off with Hank this whole time, the way he's been dodgy about it. Uh, he says, you promised me chief of police. And she's like, yeah, I didn't know Connolly was going to bring in Danvers. There's so much political maneuvering going on. But she says they paid Hank really well. And then you flash back to what Peter said in the previous episode about sending his 90 day fiance money. And you realize that Hank has lost all that money on his fiance who didn't show up on the plane. Interesting. So. I didn't put that together. Um, I almost mentioned it last podcast yeah. about like in my mind, I was thinking like, why didn't Hank become chief to begin with? And why did Danvers get transferred in and somehow get chief? Like I had thought about it, but then they solidified it here. Like he was in line to get it, which then tells me that she has like some type of political pull within the police station as well. And was that because like, she was sleeping with Connolly? <laughs> Is that I, her pull? I mean, that's kind of the conclusion I drew, but I don't know for sure. Um, I was and also now, thinking that it's it's kind of weird, kind of like how you touched on the way that um, well, you both did, kind of how you both touched on the way that. Kate talks to Hank in like this almost like a pet kind of way. Mm -hmm. Like he's mm -hmm. he's been groomed by something that's outside of like the usual hierarchy that could be like the government or I don't yeah. know, something corporate. Like there's something else there for sure. Yeah. I was just putting together like we talked about how at the end of last episode, Hank was kind of in this down about as low as you can go spot when his fiance didn't show up. And this is when, when she said they paid him off and they paid him well. And talking about the chief of police, this is when you realize this is why he hates Danvers and was difficult to work with. So that puts that in, in to place, but also that there were just a couple lines about, I think in the second episode, he was texting his fiance and she was like, oh, my mom needs another treatment. And he says, I'll send you some money. And, the, and then Peter asks last episode, 
did you send money? And he brushes over it. So he's lost everything, his finances, his potential love, and his son. So this was just, this was a big scene and it's like two minutes long. Yeah. Uh, she again hints Otis could get lost. You do this and chief of police is yours. He gets out of the car and stands in the cold. And you can tell like the weight of what I just said, that's just hanging on him. We cut to Navarro doing laundry there was a weird ghost thing here that I did not care for. Uh, it grossed me out because I don't like hair. <laughs> like, I like hair on the heads. I don't like hair in my laundry. So I was like, ew, that's just gross. And uh, she's doing laundry. She sees the hair in and, you know, she hallucinates a ghost. And that's all that was. It, again, didn't serve too much of a purpose for me. Yeah, and, like a cheap scare they were just throwing in and it yeah. was really scary. It, it it was it was like they were like last episode we had somebody leaning up against a wall like Blair Witch. This time we're gonna do some J horror. Like yeah. early two thousands, the ring, the grudge, etc. with that Got the hair in there. Black hair that just kind of slips away. Yep. But we find out that this is where Kayla and her grandmother work, which all of a sudden Danvers comment about laundromat grandma. isn't it's like she said it nastily but now she literally is a grandma who runs a laundromat and so i don't know how to feel about that anymore other than danvers meant it as an insult because she's a jerk comic knocks on the window and he shows up with the stone that fell out of navarro's pocket in the last scene and i am assuming this is a guy from his bar comes in and says this he's seen the stones they were laid on the ice to warn people that the ice was thin there they were meant to turn people away but there's also kind of an urban legend connected to the stones and the spirals about the night country and if you fell through the ice you would be in the night country so the caves have like an urban legend name of being the night country this moment made me wonder why connect it to season one? Why That's a good question. I wonder what if there was you? like some symbolism here um, around the stone and like where the caves are, with where the thin ice is. And then because he says something like, like those were left as like, don't go any further than this kind yeah. of a thing so i kind of i don't know there's definitely like some symbolism there for sure i don't know if you also notice in this scene um i think the person who walks in behind him like into the store is the girl who works at the like like the 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 factory in the first episode oh i didn't catch that yeah I don't know. Oh. I don't know how she plays into it, but I assumed that she has like some part of the story. She's been in a few different episodes. I don't know why she keeps getting screen time, but yeah, could be a coincidence. I'm not sure. So Navarro walks in to show Danvers how to get in the caves. She's hyped up. She thinks she has the answers or she has a way to get the answers. And Danvers tells Navarro that the case is done. It's over. And she's she's like, they got the forensics back. It was a freak weather incident. 
Navarro will not back down. She is passionate that she can do this. And then Danvers just stands up or stands up straighter and goes, he knows about Wheeler. And Navarro sits down like that was heavy enough that Navarro had to sit. But she eventually realizes she doesn't care. The uh, solving the Annie case is more important than whatever. And this was the moment that I realized I think Navarro shot him because she doesn't care what's going to happen to her as long as she solves Annie's case. I so, always thought she shot him. Okay. <laughs> I last episode had me thinking she did the one before that. I know I was like Danvers did it, but this has changed my mind. Navarro Danvers wants her to stop to protect her. Navarro is driven by a sense of justice and it ends with a pretty powerful Navarro says you carry her now like I did all this time you carry Annie every day you are leaving her alone in that cave in the dark you are doing that and then she pushes Annie's picture onto Danvers chest and says she is yours now and she leaves and I notice Ashley leaves and throws that door open Hank just happens to be coming back in the station and sees that altercation. I didn't so, love this. No, uh, I'll, I'll be yeah. honest. It felt extremely forced. Um, and then the, I, I also, uh, it felt forced out? that Navarro was like, you're going to carry the weight of Annie now when one Danvers doesn't care for starters. So yeah. her having like any type of compassion about this was odd to me. And then also Navarro acting like she's going to let this go. You're not, <laughs> I don't know. It just, <laughs> it was weird to me, but yeah, I wasn't in love with this scene. The speech was good. Yeah. It, it just kind of, it, it, I, I wrote the word cliche in, in my notes. Like yeah. I, 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 the second she was like, the case is over, we're done. I looked at, I was like, yeah, that's about right. That's about what you would do if you were just kind of trying yeah. to fill some time up. You would, you would have this scene where the case is over, but we all know we have another episode and a half. Uh -huh. <laughs> and we know that this isn't over. So it just feels a little like, it, yeah, it, it, good, yeah so it, it would work better in a movie because you can do that in a movie. Say you have like 10 minutes left of a movie or something like that. And it's like, all right, well, it's over. The movie's going to end. We don't end. have it. And then something else happens and you're like, whoa, that was crazy. But you can't do it in a TV show when you have another episode. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. what I liked about this scene was it showed me how much Danvers cares about Navarro. Yes. That's a good point. Yeah, so that's very true. That is what stood out. There were two things that stood out to me in this scene that I thought it was important. I totally agree with you. Like the case is done and the you carry this. Those were cliche, like a little on the nose. But the scene conveyed that Danvers truly cares about Navarro, doesn't want the ramifications to come down on her. Right. But it also revealed to me without having to tell me or give me a flashback or any of that, what happened with the Wheeler case? Yeah. And I appreciated yeah. that. We didn't have to have it. And who knows? I hope the next episode doesn't have a flashback of it because this scene told me that Navarro pulled the trigger and they did this together. So 
I, I'm good with that. And I think those were the two things that I appreciated about the scene. I agree with you on <laughs> it being a little on the nose, but this was a moment like there's almost tears in Danvers eyes mm-hmm. as she's telling Navarro to stop. And I thought that was great acting on Jodie Foster's part, but also just as little subtle, like how can we show Danvers cares? She's protecting Navarro. Yeah. So Navarro yeah, that's, go- that's a really yep. good point for sure. I, I think my opinion was definitely a little more surface level. But yeah, <laughs> as you dig yeah. into that scene some more, that's that's a really, really good point for sure. There's definitely more to this scene. It's not unnecessary. It's True. not like, oh, yeah. they could have cut that out. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, like you said, if we cut this out, I think it does remove uh, the weight of Leah having the conversation later about the stillbirths yeah so because at this point danvers is 100 done with this case mm-hmm. so navarro kind of in retaliation to all of this goes and gets leah out of lockup that is purely how i took it there's no other reason for it other than navarro's like screw you letting your daughter out <laughs> hank asks peter what all of that was about peter says uh family stuff then Hank stands awkwardly while Peter is working and Peter kind of, can I help you? <laughs> and <laughs> Hank sits down and he tells a story about a time that Peter fell through the ice. And he says he wakes up dreaming of it sometimes that he had to run ahead of the current and break through with an ice axe. He had to keep Peter awake on the way to the hospital. He knew that was the most important thing because if Peter fell asleep, it was over. And he said he felt like he was driving for days. And on second watch, I wondered if this is how Hank feels. Hank feels like he has fallen through the ice and is caught in the current. And this is his cry asking Peter to break through the ice and save him. Because I cannot figure out why else that scene exists. That's interesting. I, I was thinking about this scene a little differently kind of like um we've seen hank in his his true colors right like of being like not the best police officer maybe not the greatest dad maybe not a great husband like you you haven't really seen a whole lot of redeeming qualities for him so Mm -hmm. I, i found this story pretty good in terms of it shows like he actually does love peter Okay. Yeah. Like, I get like that. father, son, he would do anything for him. Like ran across the ice, making sure like, like, like blood is blood, Peter. He said yes. it like so many <laughs> times, you know, um, he may not be like my favorite character in this right. story by any means, but yeah, I think that that's what I took away from it. At least it would also be a really good way if you were going to have somebody fall into the ice or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that in kind of like what happens later in this episode and then maybe in the next episode when they really want to go for the caves because I'm sure that's what's happening. Um, yeah. People <laughs> yeah. who don't know, like Judging I... Judging on Matthew's face, you watch the teaser yeah. for next week. <laughs> <laughs> I did. If you don't know anything about ice or anything like that, like I never would have known that you needed to keep him awake. I never would have known, like I never would have thought about stuff like that. So that could also be a very interesting way to tell the audience, you know, this is what happens when someone falls under the ice. If you yeah. don't know 
that kind of thing. Well, right. I think it's is I believe it's shock at that point. If Peter went into shock, you got to keep him awake because somebody going through shock wants to sleep. Yeah, they feel very tired, and that that's I. So again, this is another scene that. I think we all kind of took different <laughs> meaning from it and some different depth to it because the second first watch I was like, Oh shoot. He killed Annie with the ice axe. <laughs> I was like, ah, that, that's why this story exists. And I second watch. I was like, no, I don't think that at all after second watch, but second watch is when I put together that, you know, the money, from his fiance and from the mining incident. And I was just the song at the beginning of the episode. And I was like, I wonder if Hank feels like he's trapped under ice and he's telling this to Peter to connect with him. It is a story about Peter. So like Matthew said, it is a heartfelt connection, but I also took it second time as a cry for help. Yeah. So Danvers is packing up from the case and she stops to look at the map. We cut to Navarro holding ashes while Rose is breaking through the ice. And I was kind of like, Navarro, you jerk. Why don't you get down there and break the ice? You're making this old lady Rose be the one who smashes through thick ice. But okay. Uh, Rose says she's going to stay close. The weather's bad. She doesn't want to lose sight of Navarro. Navarro pours her sister's ashes into the ocean because... This is where you wanted to be, she says. She stands up and hears her voice whispered in the dark from the ocean. She walks out onto the ice and then flashes back to the battlefield that we've seen in previous episodes very briefly. Then she realizes she's walking out on the ice. The ice cracks and we see how to save somebody from falling in the ice. So a connection to the previous scene that I didn't put together till Ivy said you might need to, which this, I never thought about laying down on cracked ice. And I was like, Oh yeah, that would definitely spread your weight out <laughs> for a wider surface. Yeah. Like, that's smart. Okay. Uh, oh, that's totally- why. <laughs> I didn't know why it works. Less yeah, dense. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so lay down, spread your weight out and then pull slowly across the ice and both Rose and Navarro are laying down. And then Rose asks, what were you doing walking into the sea like that? I called for you. And Navarro heard her call, but out from the ocean, and it sounded different. We cut. So that's just touching. Again, it was a very brief scene touching on that idea of the spirits calling Navarro to die, basically. Danvers shows up to Peter's house, but she's there to talk to Leah. Kayla doesn't let her in at first, kind of standoffish, but then submits. Leah tells her Leah's taking a bath and Danvers just walks right in and said, and Leah tells her not everything is about you. In this moment, Danvers is genuinely concerned about Leah's safety. So going back to that mining incident, Leah reminds her that everything Annie fought for before she was murdered is still happening. And this is where Leah tells Danvers about the stillbirths. So she asks Liz, do you know how many babies died? I think, was it this month or this week? Something. She said this month. Okay. This month. 
And Danvers says she knew about the one. And Leah says nine. She tells her nine babies have died this month. That's an outrageous number yes. for such a small community. That's I, I'm honestly a little more surprised that the protests aren't bigger. Uh-huh. That's a big, big number for a, a small community. That's uh, almost that would that it surprises me that there were nine babies being born in the first place. <laughs> in that small community. <laughs> well, it feels I mean, it must be bigger than it looks. Yeah. Um, or whatever. But that's 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 a terrifying number. Well, and you see that number sink in in Liz's brain. So this is where that conversation with Navarro about like this case is over. And then this moment with Leah is when Danvers is like, it can't be. This is bigger. Leah, Leah knows how to talk to her. She says, not everything is about you. She knows how Danvers thinks. She knows Danvers is self-centered. She knows yep. all of that. And then she says, she doesn't say that's nine babies, Liz. She says, that's nine moms, Liz. Oh. She's hitting her where it hurts. Right there. Drive mm -hmm. it in home. And that's the thing that finally makes her click. That's how I saw it. Like, yep. that, oh. was, that was it right there. I, I agree. It was a very nice scene. Mm -hmm. Again, I think this episode does a nice job of it keeps things pretty concise. It takes all this back information that we've had over the last four episodes, and then it just takes it to a point and drives it home in this episode, driving to that climax. But Danvers leans forward and asks leah i just want you to be home for new year's and as she leaves leah says liz i haven't given up on you which i thought was a pretty heavy line yeah and i'm not i'm not exactly sure entirely what that meant other than i walked away saying that it kind of went both ways. She hasn't given up on Liz as her mother. She hasn't given up on Liz as a human. She, it was just, there was weight to what was said. Mm -hmm. Or even as chief. Yeah. To like not sweep oh. it under the rug to like actually do something. Maybe. I didn't even connect that Navarro and Leah could have had a conversation in the car on the way home and that she was saying do your job as a police officer that's another good one we see that hank is sitting right outside of the house in his car so he's trailing danvers after his conversation with kate danvers drives to the cemetery this is a heavy scene yeah where this was something that i never thought about saying that the ground is so cold they cannot dig graves so they are stacking coffins in like a maintenance garage so i never thought about the ground being so cold you couldn't bury your dead uh that kind of blew my mind and the guy walks in and shows her this garage full of coffins with a number of small baby coffins simple wooden and she pulls, I think the date was, she pulls a card down from one of them and it says born 12, 3, 23, 
died 12-3-23. And this was everything falls into place for Danvers. She goes back to the station. Danvers goes right to evidence, pulls. They don't show us, but we know it's heroin. She pulls heroin out of the evidence. And as she's walking out, Hank sees her. And she's walking away pretty quickly, but then she decides to turn around and just confront him. And she goes, did you talk to Connolly? And he does not reply at all. And she walks away. She grabs Peter and basically shoves him into her office with his computer. And she asks Peter who he talked to about Wheeler. And he's like, no one. He's genuinely dumbfounded. And she goes, how many times do I have to tell you your father only seems like an idiot? And this is when we get the full, full, we don't know who pulled the trigger, but we get the full Wheeler story. And she sets this up and like, ask the questions, Peter, and tells him multiple times, wrong question, wrong question. And he asks a couple of the good ones. He asks, do you know how many times you visited the Wheeler household on domestic abuse calls? And she says, I don't know, two or three. And then he goes 10 times in the course of just a couple months. They were out there dealing with this. And a couple more wrong questions. And then he finally asks, did you know that Wheeler was left handed? And boom. His gunshot was on the right side of his head. So they eventually go through and they find out that Peter reveals that all of the photos in the file had been flipped except for her high school yearbook photo. And she had a birthmark above her eye that it, it was on the left side. It was on the left side. And then in all of the photos from the crime scenes, it was on the right. So Navarro and Danvers had covered their tracks by flipping all of the evidence photos to make it appear as if Wheeler was right-handed when he was left the whole time. So that is how Peter figured out that it was not a suicide. And I can feel like exactly like I can feel Navarro being hot over the whole thing and not thinking and killing him just to get it done. And then Danvers having to go clean it up and doing the flipping and that kind of thing. That's what yeah. I thought too, because uh, even when Danvers tells Peter why Danvers and Navarro have such issues. She even says that Navarro doesn't like her because of the way that she handled the Wheeler case, mm -hmm. which makes me think that maybe Navarro would have come clean and then mm. Danvers covered it up. That makes sense. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. I don't know well, for sure. That would clean up Navarro's, story because to this point navarro is about the only one that has a moral compass that yeah. is quote unquote pure danvers is a mess peter's good but the biggest mark on navarro is that she most likely killed wheeler and so the fact that she probably wanted to come clean and danvers covered that would 
fit with Navarro's character, I think. I wonder it's been established. Tell her a scene we see later. What? I said that might tell her a scene we see later. Oh yeah. I I kinda wonder if um if maybe say that is true and then Danvers covered that up. Like I wonder if she kinda spiraled spiraled out around that time, which kinda caused like all of her previous history and bad actions, which may have caused something that we don't know yet. Mm. And then maybe we'll find out in the next episode that the moral compass really was with Danvers and not Navarro, because Navarro is a murderer. <laughs> right <laughs> i don't know something like that like a switch or something are you are you still on your theory that danvers was drunk driving and caused an accident yeah not me Mm-mm. i think they've been consistently like she really does just piss off every single person she comes along with. Like every single person, she's just pissed off over and over again yeah. with little bitty things and and the cheating with husbands and just her general demeanor. I think it's now I think it's totally believable that they just can't stand her and it's okay. for that reason. Okay. I'm still curious. I, I still think she could have caused the, but an accident. Yeah. She was drunk driving in the last episode. So I have no idea. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm still not, I still think it's a possibility. I still think that could be the way it goes. Uh, in this scene, finally, Peter asks, and the way he asks it, he says, did you and Navarro shoot Wheeler and make it look like a suicide? And Danver says, as smart as you are, you need to learn to stop asking questions. And she, at this point, she says, you can't stay at Hank's. You can't trust him. He hacked into her computer, into his computer. And this is how he found out about the Wheeler case and passed that on to Connolly. It's not explained like that. It's nicely done. It wasn't necessarily, it's one of those, I don't consider it handholding because they didn't lay it out for us. They just stated all the facts that we needed to put that together ourselves that Peter's password for his computer was easily guessable. And with Peter staying with his dad, he had opportunity. Yeah, this made that one line that Danvers said to Peter a little bit earlier about his dad hit so much harder, too, when she said, your dad only seems like an idiot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, he plays dumb. He's actually really smart. Yep. So... Uh, She says that there is a shack behind her house. Peter can stay there. They don't even have to see each other, but he can't trust his dad. The trust between Peter and Hank is completely broken because as Danvers leaves, Hank is outside in the station and he kind of asks, what was that all about? Being nosy again. And Peter tells his dad, get away. And Hank approaches him and tries to put his hand on his shoulder and Peter smacks his hand away and gives him a pretty intense look and it cuts. I was hoping he would have hit him uh, because he did the same thing that Peter did to him, right? When he took the files, 
and he's like blood is blood peter and he just smacks him and he's like don't (laughs) steal from me and then he just turns around and did the same thing it's like i guess blood is blood dad (laughs) i apple doesn't fall far from the tree yeah Uh, we get us next it's a small scene and i love this scene again of Kavik and Navarro, but we just see Kavik laying in bed. I also love the way uh, she chose to shoot this. The whole time, we're just focused on Kavik in the bed, and we hear noises in the background, and then over his body in the back, we see Navarro come in, and she just gets ready for bed, and she crawls into bed. The whole time, we're looking at Kavik. This is happening in the background, kind of out of focus. And she lays down next to him, scoots up real close, and it looks like he's about to speak. And she just reaches over and covers his mouth and just shows that at this moment, she doesn't need to talk. She needs companionship. She needs him next to her. And he understands this and just grabs her arm and lets her be Big Spoon. and it's a sweet moment again. And it, this particular scene, it makes me want a happy ending for them that I don't think we're going to get. Peter arrives at Danvers shack, makes himself cozy. And it's literally a shed with a heater. We I don't then know see what he was thinking like, how is he going to live? <laughs> he goes in there. It's plywood and boxes on the shelf and like a folding chair. He's like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> and you can see his breath. So yeah. it's cold too. It's clearly cold. Peter uh, Danvers sneaks Otis out of rehab, and he is reluctant until she shows him that she actually has the heroin. She refuses to give it over to him in the car. Waits till we get to her house, and then she gives him everything he needs to go get high in the bathroom. After he shows her the spot on the map that they need to go to. She calls Navarro as Otis goes to get high. She calls Navarro to meet her at her place. Kavik tells Navarro to come back after that call. She gets ready to leave and he says, just come back. And she says nothing. And this is when I was like, oh, we're not getting that happy ending. And then he repeats it and he says, come back. And she says nothing and leaves while on the way this was another one of the ghost scenes in this episode did not do it for me uh on the way to danvers house this family's crossing the street and the little girl in the family just stops in the middle of the street and points at navarro just like every ghost throughout the show has and that's it i again didn't do it for me not a whole lot to convey in that scene other than like the ghost is still trying to get her. Ooh. Uh, while waiting for Novaro, Hank arrives at Danvers' house and Otis is in the bathroom getting high. <laughs> Hank shows up at the front door because I still think Hank was following Danvers and knew he was there. Hank says Conley wants to take in Otis. And I wonder at that moment on second watch, if Hank is trying to eliminate Otis without having to eliminate Danvers. Because in the car, I got the impression that Kate wanted both of them gone. 
And she specifically said Otis could take Danvers to the mines and something could happen. Here, he is trying to separate Otis from Danvers. And so it made me think that he is trying to get out of this with as little collateral damage as possible. And so he thinks if he can eliminate Otis, Danvers will not find her way to the mines and it'll be okay. That was just my read on what Hank is doing. She the first asked, time I watched it, I thought she wanted them both dead. The second time I watched it, I thought it was just Otis. It's kind of clunky. I still don't really understand what was in Kate's mind as what exactly she wanted to happen. Yeah. Well, and she says that she didn't come out and say it in the car. Yeah. She's like, I never said I never said I wanted them dead. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You hinted strongly. Uh, Danvers asks how Hank knew that Otis was at her house. And he says, oh, I, I didn't know. I thought you could point me in the right direction. I He clearly knew. He just lied very well at that moment. I thought that was a smooth cover. Also weird. He just let himself in. Yeah, I caught that. He just walked right in. And she just uh, allowed it too, which I thought was strange. <laughs> When he used that line that Connolly wants him to bring Otis in, something about an outstanding warrant. Um, so she's like, okay, I'm going to call Connolly to get this figured out. And he, was it her gun that he grabs off the island or her phone? I think it was her gun. Okay. So she, he gets agitated, grabs her gun off the table, and at this moment, oh, and he says, just give him to me. And Otis walks out of the bathroom and Otis is like, what is going on? And Otis threatens to run. Hank draws the gun and says, I'm going to do this the way you did Wheeler. Danvers says that they can beat this. Whatever they have on Hank, we can fix and Hank says, you can't fix turning my son against me. And so for me, that was the last straw. We've talked about financials, love life, everything. Losing his son in that previous scene, last straw. Otis decides to make a move and Hank fires. It looks like it hits him in the shoulder. It doesn't kill Otis. He's laying on the ground, making noise, still trying to crawl for the door. And Hank fires again. And sure enough, guess who heard the shots from outside in the shed? Pierre walks in, gun drawn. His father's standing there with his gun pointed at Otis. And Hank tries to get Peter back on his side. He tries to do sweet talking. Help me. I need to get him to the, was it a hospital or a station? He's trying to convince his son to join him. And when that's not working, he says, you should know something. I didn't kill Annie. I just moved her body. And then he says, blood is blood. And he starts to raise the gun on Danvers and Peters fires on his own father. Killing him pretty effectively. Didn't this see that coming. I did. 
Yeah. I thought Peter was going to die this whole time. I thought, I thought Peter was going to be the one. I oh, thought really? Peter was going to die. Yeah. Because what, he was, what gave you guys that impression? I'm just curious. The way they set him up in the previous three episodes, just like he's always trying to prove himself, do the right thing, and he continually feels like he's failing. I thought it was going to be a kind of tragic. He was going to try to do the right thing and end up getting killed mm. in the process. Like That's you just continued to fall it. short, kind of. Yes. I see. Well, he's a nice guy and you don't want to see him die. Yeah. Just True. The, the audience would be yeah. upset. <laughs> just the way I thought Kavik was also going to die. The two <laughs> nicest guys in the show. Yeah. Well, there's uh, still another episode, so. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And I thought this scene, I thought it was very well done. The tension in this scene was very thick. How far, how far out did you see this coming? Um, I think as soon as I saw, um, Otis get shot once, I was like, okay, Peter's in the back. He's in the shed. Okay. He's going to come in. His, Hank's going to clearly kill this guy. And then he's going to be like, oh, I didn't realize my son was here. And then he's going to force him to do, uh, what is it like a cop suicide basically? Yeah. I don't know. I just kind of, Yeah. But yeah. it, it made the scene and what we're about to get into, like right after this for sure, um yes it, it was great I, I really liked it overall so i i i would say like as soon as he showed up at the house i was like peter's gonna hear something i didn't know what it was gonna be but to mm -hmm. be honest i did think that this was gonna go where otis took him to the mines and then i thought we were gonna have a show or at the caves and i thought we were gonna have a showdown at the caves i thought that was all gonna unfold there having it unfold sooner than i expected and in her home took me by surprise i was definitely thrown off by that location was a surprise yes for at sure I think that was a nice way of the show to kind of subvert expectations they set us up like hey let Otis take her to the mines. And then we never got there. And also I did appreciate that at this moment, I still don't know what's going on with Clark. I have theories, but at this moment, introducing Otis in the previous episode wasn't pointless. Yeah. This episode justified introducing Otis. True. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm so, glad that they added on to that because I know I said last episode, I was like, what what is this yeah <laughs> you know, me too. So. i'm like i don't need another character right now uh so i was glad they did that so immediately do, do, you, do yep. you really quick do you guys think that hank unnecessarily threw his life away here yes like i don't I, think he needed to do this no but i think i am on what you said about the uh, assisted suicide or suicide by police after what I've talked about, losing all his money, losing his 90 day fiance, knowing that he's stuck in this situation now where he was an accomplice in Annie's thing and realizing that he's lost his son, Danvers is going to find the answers. I think he said, this is probably my best bet. Okay. I guess yeah. that is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I think at that moment he had so much weighing on him that that was his route out. He just seemed like such a well put together person, like as a cop, just, I don't know. He was very clean, orderly. It just seemed like 
almost like he wouldn't do that kind of but i guess you kind of i guess it is kind of known that people who do make that decision kind of do become very clean and orderly towards the end in some cases well and i want to remind um the song he was singing when peter showed up the line was you are forever bound to lose so what's the use right i i also kind of wondered very dark it was very dark. I also kind of wondered, it, it was that like the first time he pulled out his guitar in a really long time? And I that was to. kind of foreshadowing? Or is this something that he has continued to do in private? Hmm. Um, I, I just, yeah, I'm not sure. And I'm looking it up. The actor who plays Hank wrote the song. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, That's it sounded cool. great. That's I liked cool. it. <laughs> uh so immediately after Peter kills his dad, he falls to the ground. And this was a scene. So <laughs> I talked, I think I talked last episode about how I'm a crier at movies. I cry when things get emotional. I also have been known to cry when things get really intense. And in this moment, when he fired on his own father, I was like holding back tears just from the tension of what was unfolding the son facing his father and having to make that horrific decision. So Danvers holds Peter as he just collapses to the ground and it's a touching heavy, like this scene is tense. Navarro walks into it and it shows there's just a cut that shows sometimes past people have moved. They're sitting against the wall and navarro talk well danvers is like i'm gonna call conley and i'm like why (laughs) yeah after all of this are you still gonna call Connolly? and navarro's like no he is in on this i'm like how does danvers not realize that but navarro's like he's gonna bury all of us Connolly is maybe not the head but he has the power to do this navarro and danvers have to go to the caves So Navarro is briefly fabricating a story, staging a scene. There's a storm coming in. They've mentioned the storm all the way back, I think, in the episode two about why they couldn't get stuff to Anchorage because there was a storm in Anchorage that was coming their way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's a storm coming. It's going to cover their tracks. They can go get to the caves. No one has to know. And Danvers is like, no, we have to clean. We have to clean this up. And Peter says he's going to clean. Navarro is like, Hank was sent here to stop us from finding where Annie died. We are this close. Peter's going to clean. The two of them have to go to the caves and they have to go right now. So Navarro tells him to take the bodies to Rose and tell her to take him to Julia. And she makes him repeat it. And so at this point, Danvers and Navarro hopping in the car, driving off to the mines. Peter is staying to clean up the bodies. And that is where this episode leaves us. That they did William Wheeler it in the end. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But also the way Navarro came into the scene and was ready to clean it up and fabricated the story. I again was like, was she the one who created the story about Wheeler? But when you mentioned, you know, 
was it Danvers who cleaned it? I, I, I don't know how that went. I don't know how that went. But the way she handled this scene made me think that Navarro was the one who was quick on her feet saying, this is what happened here. It's a good point. So much for Navarro letting it go. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the scene with Danvers and Peter, when Danvers is conflicted of leaving Peter to clean up his own father was my favorite part of this series so far. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, because you could tell Danvers was like clearly conflicted. Like she, she knew from like a police standpoint, her knowledge around what needs to happen has to happen. But her as like a human being was like, I don't know if I can leave him alone to do this because you don't know what's going to happen, right? No son should have to clean his father's brain off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> put it there. Yes. No, yeah. this was a heavy. In that moment, I wondered. I. I don't know how true it is, but I just wondered if she cared about Peter more than she cares about Leah. And I don't think that's the case, but I watched this and I was like, I think Leah needs to see that kind of care Mm -hmm. from Danvers. Mm -hmm. I couldn't help but see the way she comforted Peter and thought that she has not comforted Leah this entire season. And that's what Leah is waiting for. Leah's waiting for that softer touch from Danvers. So it could be. all Leah has to do is kill someone. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we, right. This was great episode. What yeah. do we think? So I have some thoughts about the next episode. Let's I, hear it. Should I, should I go first on this? Sure. Okay. Here are my thoughts, and I'm stretching on this. I'm stretching. I don't think we're going to get everything solved in this season. I don't think the ties to season one are an accident. And I don't think they're going to explain it this season. I think we're going to find out what happened to Annie this season. And that's it. I think there's going to be a bigger mystery left at the end about the Salal station, what killed those guys, and what connects that spiral to season one and to here. It would not entirely surprise me if Woody Harrelson, or I'm spacing on his name, Matthew McConaughey, showed up in this final episode. It would not surprise me. But I don't think it would show up to solve everything. I think it would show up to be like, we heard you've seen the spiral before. And it would be a tease for season five. There's no evidence to support what I'm saying, other than the fact that we have connected the season heavily to season one with throwing in Matthew McConaughey's character's father being in this episode and Mm -hmm. he was connected to what happened to the scientist not to what happened to annie even though it is connected their deaths were very different so i think we're gonna find out what happened to annie in those caves i think we're gonna find out what is in those caves i'm not sure that that is going to answer what exactly happened to the salau guys because they were not in the caves so I'm still I still think there's a little bit of something mystical paranormal that's going to be in those caves. 
whether it's an ancient spirit or whatever i don't know but somebody killed annie that person's going to be very real what's in those caves i think is going to be the paranormal mystical side of it I don't think it's going to be something sciencey like, oh, the caves triggered the avalanche that killed the science guys. No. Uh, also, there is a little bit of wishful thinking that we could get Matthew McConaughey in here and kind of, <laughs> kind of connect some stuff. I think that would be sweet. Um, but I also am at a point where I really don't want to find out everything in the next episode. There is still a lot like we have talked about Danvers and her family still know nothing about that backstory. What happened to Holden and her, I assume, husband. Uh, don't know anything about that. We still don't know who killed Annie, why necessarily Annie was killed, why this one protester out of a bunch of them was targeted other than she was in the caves. So we don't know who killed her. We don't know what's down there. We don't know what killed the Salal guys. We don't know other than the warning sign that the spiral represents why it was here and in the deep south in the other episode or in the other season mm -hmm. so i think i don't need all of those answers this season i also would not be surprised if this tied directly into another season more so than the previous seasons have because i was just reading um this season before its conclusion has had more watches than season one, which was the record holder before. Wow. So I was just reading some like news, not reviews. I was reading news about it. Every episode of this season so far has increased in viewership. And that is with season five happening a day early because of the Super Bowl. And people wow. still turned in make sure i know we <laughs> i turned in saturday night instead of sunday night to make sure i caught it but this season has grown in popularity so it would not surprise me if originally matthew mcconaughey or woody were brought in to in boost numbers on a show that seasons two and three they kind of had diminishing returns on and so it wouldn't surprise me if, hey, they tied the end of season four to one to boost those numbers. But it turns out that people are loving season four and showing up for it. And so it's going to lead into something more. So that's my thoughts on kind of where this is going. I It's purely speculation. There's nothing out there about a season five at all. We could get it all wrapped up ni nicely in a bow. I don't want that, though. I think a lot of that makes sense. I could see season five being tied in with season four. Um, kind of makes sense that there's only six episodes. If they were going to release another six and carry on the story, maybe that, mm. that'd be interesting for sure. I'd well, be down for that. Cause I'm still the, uh, the spiral ex explanation in this episode doesn't connect it to season one at all. It doesn't connect it to things that happened earlier in this season. Why no. is it painted on the ceiling above a creepy doll? You know, so, like uh, other than is it just a message to like, hey, it, he said it meant like, don't go any further. So I can understand when they went to see Tagak at his home and he drew it on the floor like 
stop investigating here, but he's assuming that they understand that. But they asked him about it and he acted weird. So I don't, I'm not satisfied that that is the true meaning of that symbol is where I think that's where I'm at on this season. I don't believe it's just a warning sign. I think that is a group of people's interpretation of it. I think it means something bigger because saying don't go any further, that works in probably 50% of the uses we've seen so far. But why would a killer in season one draw that on a girl's back? Don't go any further. Like, like who's that message to in that case? So either it's poor writing, which I don't think is the case up to this point. I think we're not getting the real answer yet. Yeah, I kind of think that the the sim like the spiral symbol along with children missing is an ongoing theme in all of the seasons. And I think it kind of ties back to the Tuttle family a little bit. And it's almost like wherever we find out that the Tuttles are involved, they kind of leave a trail of odd shit like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of where I'm at with it right now. So I think that would lead into if we're tying this all in to a season five or like a true you mentioned in earlier episodes, a true conclusion to where we tie in the spiral, the missing children, and we investigate this kind of Tuttle family organization more and wrap all of that up. I mean, maybe there's so many open-ended questions still. I'm not even sure if I agree with the stuff I've said before. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So where are you you two at on where things are going? I would love to hear what Ivy thinks. I don't know what I think. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we're going to get answers to everything. Um, I think that for something like for, for completely just throwing this out there, um, I think that they are probably going to try to go for awards for this. And mm-hmm. I know there is a thing with anthologies and, and, uh, um, like limited series. And there's, there's been several shows like big little Lies where they say, oh, it's a limited series. And then they run those people for awards. And then later on, oopsie, it was actually the first season of a series. So I don't know. I could totally see them doing a season five and looping these people in, but I don't know if they're going to end it that way because then they have plausible deniability so that they can get Jodie Foster and Emmy. I'm just seriously that, that, that was what I was thinking the whole time you were saying that was I could see them doing it, but I don't think they're going to start. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to jeopardize any of that kind of thing. Cause I absolutely see them going for awards for this, for her. I can Um, see that. I could absolutely also see them doing another anthology with another group of people and then bringing in Jodie Foster or Woody Harrelson and having a new story help play out where the spiral came from, all of that. I don't think it's just a warning. I think that's just one of the many reasons that the spiral exists because it does not make sense to me that that spiral was on the ceiling in the creepy trailer. Mm -hmm. It's just a don't come here. That looked like he was attempting something. 
that look like something is happening here. A summoning. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to find out what's in the cave. And I think we're going to find out. I, I, I'm sticking with the brain worms thing. I think there's something in the cave and that the, the Salaw guys tapped into the same thing and released whatever it was. And it made everybody crazy. I don't think that that's supernatural. I think the supernatural is completely stuck with Navarro. I don't think that, I don't think that her seeing her dead mom and oranges rolling around is tied to what's going on with the Salaw guys and what killed them. I would agree. But who knows? I would agree with that. Yeah. But who knows? They surprised me a couple of times in this episode, and I'm looking forward to more surprises. I can say that. Definitely. Oh, and I did enjoy the creepy cover of Save Tonight by Eagle Eye Cherry over the (laughs) (laughs) That was really good. Yeah, I like that, too. The music so far has been really great. Yes. Yes. Um, All right. So you're wrapping us up, Matthew. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of interested to see what happens in episode six, like everybody else, obviously. Um, I don't know if I have any like ideas about how this is going to conclude. I still kind of stand by that. We're going to find a reason for why all of this stuff was brought into the show. Um, I, I'm kind of leaning towards maybe Navarro has like schizophrenia or something because I, I still mm-hmm. just don't understand why the supernatural aspect is like even a part of the show because it's true detective. It's a little bit of a stretch for me. So I'm hoping there's an explanation. Um, I definitely felt that with this episode. This episode yeah. was shoehorning it in. Yeah, um, I do think that we now understand what the night country is and it's 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 the caves, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a thing that's going to like take you forever and nobody's going to know where you went kind of a thing. And I'm excited that we're going to get introduced to that, I'm assuming, um, in the next episode, because one thing that I notice is with Hank choosing to give his life in that moment he may have thought that he was like 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 tying up a loose end and then nothing could like go any further but what he didn't know is that otis had already given danvers the location of the cave very true right because maybe he wouldn't have done that if he knew that she knew where to go next yeah so that's kind of interesting, I thought. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to just see what's going to go on with the caves. I don't really know what's going to happen. <laughs> so that, that's that's all I got. All right. Well, we're going to find out in just a couple hours because this episode will be out Sunday morning. So we will find out tonight how this all wraps up. And I'm still a little bit nervous on if they're going to stick the landing. That's why... I, I feel like I'm going to be happiest if they don't explain everything. If they leave some of that mystery out there, I will feel better about the ending than I don't like nice, pretty bows. I've said that almost every episode. So that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at for this episode. We, we had quite a bit to say about this episode. <laughs> we went about a half hour longer than normal. So thanks for sticking with us. Ivy and Matthew, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with the conclusion. 
to True Detective Night Country. Thank you very much. And now we return you to our regular scheduled program in progress.